Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week on the podcast, we welcome back Horace for the first time in a while to discuss a recent Mastodon tweet storm, I guess that's the equivalent these days, uh, on Apple's fabled car efforts and why they may fail, especially in the face of smaller, more modular vehicle solutions. I've linked to the tweet storm in the show notes, but as a quick context, the overall arc is that cars have a very long development and use lifespan and that computers, the one thing that Apple happens to be very good at, have far shorter time spans of use and development, and that there's a mismatch there around how these two dynamics would interplay. As we've talked about a lot here on the podcast, the faster it goes, the slower it goes. And that's in reference to, of course, the speed of development, but also the life cycle and how quickly these vehicles get turned over. And with micromobility exploding, our thesis is, of course, that smaller electric vehicles like electric bikes and scooters are more adaptable and can be developed and evolved at a much faster pace than larger vehicles like cars. And that, as a result, they're able to more quickly adapt to market trends and consumer preferences and stay ahead of the curve. So join us as we discuss the potential for micromobility, the challenges facing Apple's car efforts and the role of smaller, more modular vehicle solutions in shaping the future of automobiles and transport. It is a kind of classic Horace episode, and if you're joining us uh, and have listened to a lot of these before, this may be sort of familiar territory, but uh, I'm conscious that for a lot of you, you may not have, so I wanted to ensure that we were able to cover that off on an episode like this. And with that, here's Horace. Let's go. Well, welcome back to Micro Mobility. We have with us today, Horace. How are you today, Horace? I'm great, and I love to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's been way too long since we've done one of these things, so... And can I just say that you have the most dulcet tones? <laughs> you know, the, that accent coupled with your, your choice of words. So anyway, great to hear. Uh, appreciate it. Hey, well, it's great, to, it's great to be back with you, Horace. And look, I, I, I feel uh, like it's a, a requisite question as to where you are in the world and what, and what you've been up to. Uh, i am on a sailing vessel that's actually on land right now in portugal it's being uh it's being overhauled with a bunch of repairs and things and it's not fun anti-fouling if anybody knows anything about boats they know that it's a constant fight with nature not in a bad way but it's like nature tends to win (laughs) it's just and I'm a I'm a new owner of a boat, so a lot of these things are new to me. So I'm I'm finding it fasc- fascinating, and yet at the same time, extremely challenging. Yes. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, look, the reason uh, I thought we'd try and pull up an episode is uh, is you had a, a great tweet storm, uh, sl- sorry, slash mastodon storm, if that's what they're called, on the Apple Car uh, and and the sort of the speed of innovation. And, and periods of uh, warranties and speed of computation and and, uh, and how quickly they evolve. And and I actually thought, look, we've done an episode on the Apple Car way back in the day. 
I think there's probably been a fair amount of updates since then. And I also am keen to kind of talk about it in the context of wider EVs and the, the EV story, because I think that's also been uh, very interesting in terms of how quickly those have grown. Like generally EVs, I think the industry has has really taken off and I think it's taken quite a few people in the auto industry by surprise. But then, you know, the, the same things that we might've been saying back then as to whether or not they still hold. So maybe we start off with with the kind of the insights that you had in that tweet storm with Apple Car, and I can I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, and then, yeah, but if you just lay out the kind of the, the the basic points, that'd be great. So the the problem is one of timing, and and the problem of of the industry, especially, is thinking of it as a software evolved industry, meaning it's a, you know the the injection of software in uh, in in transport and in, in particular in automotive is problematic because of the timescales of the the products, and it's it, there's a there's a timescale in terms of its development, there's a timescale in terms of its production period, and there's a timescale in terms of its duration in the market or in in use um, so mm-hmm. so you know uh, development production after sales and after you know l- longer term and most people who are car buyers and of certain you know let's say with certain means they, they usually replace their car every few years um, they usually buy new um, and are therefore kind of getting the latest version of everything but then the problem is that 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 the car you buy new that gets typically upgraded every three years is resold in a secondary and then tertiary and then beyond that. So there's there's usually four life, you know, four owners to every car. Mm-hmm. So that means that it stays around for a longer time. It's at 14, 15 years on average, which means that it tends to be in use over 20 years uh, with a non you know, with with a non-normal distribution, so there's a sort of a a long tail to that uh, to that curve. So some cars are mm. uh, stay around for a very long time and you know become collectible or or, or not, not. But as a result, here's a, here's the trouble with someone trying to build software for a car. You have to say, okay, we're beginning our our design phase in year X. Probably going to see the car shipping in in first first launch in year X plus five. Then it's going to be X plus 10 or so when it ceases being in production. And mm-hmm. then that last car from the production line might still be used 20 years later. So that's an X plus 30. So you're mm-hmm. looking at, okay, well, so what? Uh, once we design it, it's it's not my problem. But it begins to become a problem when the assumptions you made 30 years earlier about hardware, about software, about connectivity, begin to be obsolete even before the product is in the production line. So you have to somehow decide, okay, well, we can't freeze the spec at the time of launch. We kind of have to be able to substitute something later. And then you say, okay, but now it's shipping. Do we still need to support it five years later after it's been in production? And then you get to this situation. Many people say, well, let's just give up. Let's let the car be deprecated, meaning that's no longer valid uh, or we don't support it after a certain time. Mm-hmm. And that might be, you know, natural to people with phones and, and computers because, you know, they have a finite life span in terms of support. And usually it's five years for phones, maybe a bit longer for, for computers. But for a car, that's not a good solution because, the, again, it's sold three, four times later. And the reason it's sold three, four times is because it still has utility. It still has mm-hmm. value. 
And that initial purchase price of, let's say, nowadays in the United States, you're talking in the $50,000 range for mm. an average car. An electric one is possibly sixty. Uh, and, and, you know, high end electric cars are nowhere near 80 anymore. So like they're moving up to 100. And right. and so you, you're, you're looking at that product saying, OK, if you're going to say it has a five, six year lifespan, then you're looking at a depreciation of 20,000 possibly per year. And that, mm-hmm. is a, that is a cost that you can then bake into your monthly payments or your cost of ownership. And then you start to ask, hang on a second, this is extremely expensive, as if like every time I use it, it's going to cost me like hundreds of dollars, potentially, if you're going to deprecate it in five years, if you're the only buyer and at the end of your lease or whatnot, it's worth zero. But if, it, if you, even if you extended one, one owner after that, 10 years, then you start to say, okay, the, the cost is prohibitive. Then you start. Okay, we can't. We can't do this. This doesn't make sense economically. Cars are mm. too expensive to be disposable, to, to become perishable goods. That in you know in five six years nobody supports them. But then you flip it to the other side. You say, okay, let, let let's go ahead and support this product beyond the five to ten year period. But then you start to see complexities that you couldn't imagine once you get into software. Like the the processors become unobtainable because you're dealing with like a generation of microprocessors that's not going to be in production more than a couple of years. Uh, so how do you get spare parts? Then you have to say, well, the software people who worked on this thing have to maintain their competency in order to you know maintain the updates. And you're, you're looking at like, do you really want to work on software? You as a developer, you as a software engineer, do you really want to be proficient in a technology that was obsolete? 15, 20 years ago, never mind 30 years ago. It's like being a COBOL programmer today or, mm. or you know, building websites with HTML. Nobody does that. And so no one who has any ambition as a technician, as a technical person would want to work in that industry. Sure. You know, so you have this like, you have this incredible uh, uh, dissonance between the timeframes involved in the computer world and the timeframes involved in the automotive world, and these timeframes. Sure, but can I? Can I? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I push back at a, for, for for one thing here, which is like, you know, there's an assumption there that if you don't maintain it, that it will no longer continue to work, right? And and I think that there's an element of, you know, yeah, cars might not be able to. Yeah. From a software perspective, it's like if you if you have a functioning piece of software on a computer, it will continue to work. It just it might, but here's where where I'll give you examples. But you won't be able to like load apps and stuff. But in a in a car, it's like wow, it still drives down the road. You know, well perhaps. But let me give you some examples. I've had this happen to me personally. I've had cars where the firmware included a phone number that the system would dial in case of an emergency, right? That was like, you know, your roadside assistance. And that was sure. hard-coded in firmware. And that was actually a 1-800 number that was somehow they forgot to pay or they, they changed from 800 to 888 or something like that. And therefore, the phone number was obsoleted and they couldn't change the firmware. Not even the factory or the dealership could change what was in the firmware. So that functionality of the car, the you know, call for emergency assistance was effectively made into a doorstop. Then another mm-hmm. example was I have a, a 2014 uh, BMW i3 electric car and in its firmware also, and actually in its hardware, was support for 3G as its communication network. And that got deprecated by Verizon in the United States and the car no longer connects. 
Now, you could say, well, it still drives. And the other car did as well. It doesn't have emergency assistance. But you paid money for these things. You paid mm -hmm. for the ability to you know, have an app that allows you to remote lock and unlock. You have an app that allows you to preheat the car. None of those functions are available. I don't even know if there's a module available to upgrade from 3G. And if there were, it's probably expensive. But it just goes, this, this is because these early cars had very basic functionality, like have a phone number in firmware or have a 3G network capability. These are basic, basic things. Like mm. not even like, uh, you know, a refrigerator has more functionality than this. Okay. So if you think about $80,000 object having you know, promises to the end user. Whoa, we're going to take care of you. You have all this glitzy lighting and functions of entertainment and self-driving and mapping and apps to find uh, charging points, etc. Right? All of these things. Oh, I have another example for you, by the way. I have a, uh, I, uh, the story is well known, is the Porsche Cayman, which I purchased like in 2015. And I had it shipped to Finland because I wanted it in, in Europe. And, 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 and it was actually, uh, I used it in Finland, but it came with, with a GPS system and the, <laughs> the GPS covered only North America. And when it boots up, it actually shows me on the little map there. It sh shows a little pointer where I am, but it's like, it's like in the middle of blue space. It's, 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 it's in Europe and it doesn't know where Europe is. Yes. And, and, and you, you know, while you could go and get a CD or a DVD, whatever it was, that contained maps for Europe from 2015, my point is that there's a, a bunch of unintended consequences and people have been explaining all these weird bugs that are creeping into the car software because they didn't think of something. Well, of course you didn't think of something. You cannot think of something 15 years ahead. You cannot think mm. of some com you know, complex situation. And so that's why you have over-the-air updates, which sound very nice, except that, again, what if the network technology changes? Or what if you know a, a chip breaks and you can't get a replacement? I mean, there are loads of examples. I remember when, when the, the space shuttle was still running, they couldn't get spare parts for the space shuttle because... That was 1970s computer chips. Mm -hmm. They were having to go on eBay to buy like some old pieces of equipment that they could strip for parts. Or, for example, the, the BART system in San Francisco, they cannot get parts for the turnstiles or, or some of the control systems because that, too, was developed in the 1970s. And when it was, it was very fancy technology, all computerized, but those computer chips are no longer available. So both, by the way, these are the examples of transportation systems, the space shuttle, the BART, your car. And these are like, okay, well, what do they have in common? Yeah, they move people. But they're also like 40, 50 years in use. This is mm -hmm. the time scales are so enormous. With, you know, the, the same, as, we, as we say all the time, the faster it goes, the slower it goes. The space shuttle sure. is the fastest object in this list. And it was in use from the 1970s until 2000. And ten or so. Um, yes. And so, if you can, if you can imagine, you know, times, you, you know, uh, the Air Force, the United States Air Force, flies the B fifty two bomber, which is actually going to still be in use a hundred years after its initial development, a century. The crazy, the crazy one is that you know they're still using U twos for. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the U two is a nineteen fifties technology, yeah, yeah. and so is the B fifty two. The Russians are using Tu ninety five Bear, which is a turboprop to bomb Ukraine. And that too was developed in the, in the 1950s. Yeah. So the, 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 this is the problem with, with what I struggled with as a kid, as a, as a, as a fan of technology was like, wow, why is it that the airplanes like from the 1970s 
or you know, I was born in '68, and that's when the the Boeing 747 was developed. And you know, although it's no longer in civilian, um, in 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 um, in passenger use, it's still used as a cargo air- aircraft, and it's as old as I am. So, uh, what I, you know, I, this is a fundamental law of nature. It seems I I I, don't, I haven't seen anyone solve it in aviation, in rail in transit, with buses. It's the same problem with cars. This is why the pattern, when you go to micro and you look at micro and you say, wow, it is very much more likely that those things will turn over more quickly. Mm. Now, it depends on many things. But, you know, I, I, I'll give you an example. This is a great company, actually, Unagi, you know, who makes scooters. Oh, yeah, yeah, the scooters. Yep. Yeah, I got, I got to test their product. They sent me uh, samples and uh, amazing product. Uh, there was a problem with one of them, and and the issue though, and they're very very responsive. But the issue was that the handlebars stopped working; that there was some fault with them. And I, I asked for a replacement, and when they sent me a replacement, it actually wouldn't connect. Uh, the firmware was probably different on that piece of hardware that it couldn't handshake with the controller for the motor that they were off by, a, you know, there was a, a, a version creep, right? So the version of the firmware wasn't matching, which is understandable and it's solvable, right? It's mm-hmm. solvable because you can either upgrade the firmware or get a new part, but it just goes to show you that that scooter, when, when, it, when I had this problem, was six months old. In six months, there was already version lag between the, the, you know, one piece of the scooter and another. Mm. And my, you know, of course, if you're in the micro business, it's like, okay, dude, I'm on it. I'll send you the part. Very responsive, like I said. And, but if you're in the car business, uh, it's a whole different complexity and a whole different cost structure. You know, you're, you're dealing with thousands of dollars if you're going to get a new piece of, you know, controller boards or, or whatever. And there's, it's not that they're gouging. It's like their cost structures are super high because of the way the system is set up. So, you know, and, and Tesla's tried to do something about it. First, with over-the-air updates. Secondly, without dealing dealership networks, try to make sure that customers are served in a more prompt manner. But there's as many satisfied customers, there's probably an equal number of dissatisfied customers because it's not quite working for them. I, I mean, you know, they also got, you know, got away from the idea of having all cars built to the same specification and having parts over time. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that as well because I'm aware that that's that they do the rolling updates on the on the same vehicle. And they're rolling costly, which means your VIN number uh, is going to have a different configuration than you know uh, the VIN number plus one because the next guy will have a different, completely different car, which makes servicing a very difficult premise. And now, if you think that's the case with a three-year-old car, imagine what it's going to be with a thirty-year-old car. With every VIN and every car coming out of Tesla, you'd have to look up, uh, you know, a database of all the possible configurations. It's already hard with all the cars that we have today. Imagine that no one car is equal to another car. That's crazy. My point of this uh, tirade was that there is a fundamental fault with trying to combine a rapidly evolving technology with a, with a certain clock cycle. Did it come about because, did that, that in particular, that tie ride where you're talking about, um, the one on Mastodon, which again, we'll link to in the show notes, was about the Apple car. Was there some kind of new insight or, or conversation or something like that, that that had happened that kind of gave you... No, 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 I can say this about the Apple car. I, I mean, I think that their problem is going to be, or ha- is, or has been, or whatever, is that the phone is a seasonal product. The phone changes every year. And the phone and the tablets, typically the wearables, 
uh, AirPods new every year. The only thing that doesn't quite change every year, although it, it might very well with the M series processors, is that they might go to a cadence of one year also on the Mac. Yeah. So like I think they love they love this idea of constantly pushing to a new generation of product every year. And by the way, the reason I think they went to their own chipset for the Mac is because Intel could not feed a yearly cycle. Yeah. Intel as a supplier could not keep up with their demand for frequency of updates. So Apple loves that frequency. Okay. There's economic reasons. There's manufacturing reasons. There's depreciation, R&D. All of its economics are actually coupled to this cadence. My observation is that if you try to do that with a car, I think you're going to run into a wall. I think they, they may have explored the possibility of doing cars on the cadence, which means, first of all, you got to go to contract manufacturing because you don't want to have the, 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 the flexibility of contract is what they desire because mm-hmm. they want to have this ability to sort of ramp it up and then ramp it down as quick as you can and hit that sweet window of, you know, holiday sales. That window, by the way, it's, it's entirely driven by human behavior, gifting season, all that stuff. That's why exactly, you know, when you look at this, at the calendar, Apple works on a fall schedule. That's the seasonality. Does that also apply to cars as well? Like to cars, do we see? Well, it couldn't. That's, I, I mean, it used to, and, and, and in some ways, kind of General Motors invented that idea of, of the yearly car model. Yeah. That it would allow you to create uh, a, a styling change, and then you would have a, and even today, the Christmas is an important buying season for automobiles. You see all the sales in the U.S. running effectively around turn of the year. Mm. I'm not sure if January is a bigger month than than December. I think actually December is the big month. So people have kind of made car buying seasonal. But I, I think that when you look at the, at the details, um, the model years don't change all that much. There's a, a tweak and a, and a nip and the tuck in terms of the f- appearance of the product. And they want to make it seem like it's refreshed, but it's cosmetic. Mm. And there isn't that much substance to a model year change. There might be a, a significant re- revamping every four or five years. Toyota famously has shrunk that very much. But let's look at Tesla, the most dynamic car company in the world. Okay, they're still selling the Model S, what, 10 years? I know it pains you to say that, Horace. <laughs> Hmm? I know it pains you to say that, but yep, I hear you. No, I mean it is the most dynamic. I don't. I. I but my problem, my point is that actually the dynamism in the auto industry is mismatched. Mm. It, if you try to do that, you will fall in your face. You 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 see the the fact that they have a stale product line, and the product line has been uh, static. I mean they're not doing the Toyota system. The Toyota system is like super rapid change. And super, you know, diverse. Each plant making fifteen car models easily. They could probably even do thirty car models on one line. Tesla does four factories with one with one product. It's like the Ford production system. I I'm not saying it's. We'll see how that shakes out in the end. But the point is that are we seeing dynamism in terms of what Apple would like to see from car making? Do they want to make the same car for fifteen years? Because it's somehow then they break even on their investment. I, I think the, the, the fundamental, and this is why Apple and the logic of Apple, which I think embodies more than anyone, the hardware side of computing. And, and therefore, because they're coupled to software and services, they want to be in sync as they move forward. And that has actually resonated very well for them, made them the most valuable company in the world. But then you try to copy paste this into automotive or transportation in general, 
and you start to see why it doesn't work. And again, um, um, our thesis, our thesis mm. is that micro changes everything. If you if you only looked at that, if you look at cars, you 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 face palm. If you look at micro, you're like, hmm, maybe we can work, make it work. Now, again, no guarantees, but there's something much more interesting there. I agree. So the, I guess the reason I was asking about the Apple car is, has there been, because uh, my understanding is that that project is dead. I mean, it continues to go, but it's dead, you know? Well, I don't know. I don't know. We, well, it's, it's, it's been dead and reborn several times. As far, I, I think there's been over three changes in top management, at least that we know, mm-hmm. and that the third perhaps has ended. And, and, you know, there was a Bob Mansfield, there was a, a Steve Zadesky, and now there was a, a Doug Field. Mm-hmm. All these are names that are public, by the way, as far as being the leaders of the product line or the, the development. And I think, uh, you know, they, they've been at it for more than seven years. And we don't know. None of those people will speak about what they were doing and how it ended. But I, I would say that there's been three attempts. And as far as I can tell, the only success has been CarPlay, where effectively they said we're just going to provide a user interface to tie our phones to the cars which meant that the phones effectively determined the user experience which by the way makes this problem work uh, or rather makes apple's participation in the industry work if they would would skin the ux and i skin i say skin instead of because they're not running the os even they're mm-hmm. not running the car os they're just running you know the the pixels on the screen and that management of that first touch experience with the with the car managing the core services that cars need like navigation entertainment and uh, you know instrumentation which is you know just looking at the dials and things they're saying we're going to take that over and we're going to make it super super slick we're going to make it customizable. We're going to make it user user uh, dependent, so that it changes for every driver, and uh, we're going to still make it on brand for each automaker, so mm-hmm. that they don't lose identity by going with Apple. All of this is what they promised, but watch now what happens because CarPlay is already. I think it's as old as oh geez, I forget now. I, I did this uh, some time ago, but it was at least seven years old. Now. Like twenty twelve, I think twenty thirteen. Yeah possibly even 10 years now. So it's been a long time with CarPlay and now they're launching this new version of CarPlay that's going to be the instruments, not just, uh, not just the, the, the little, uh, the little display that the normally. Which strikes me as like the smart play, right? And the, from their perspective, it's the one that makes the most sense for being able to like get into the vehicle and also be absolutely. And then when I saw it, when I saw it, I said, boom, this is Apple car. Yeah. I actually said that within 30 seconds of seeing the, the, the live presentation and people were like, what are you talking about? I said, this is makes a lot more sense than Apple car does. However, again, does this parlay into something for micro? Will they even succeed with that strategy? Cause you're dealing with in the U S alone, there's over 500, different car models available globally there's probably closer to like i don't know 800 maybe a thousand different car models so that's not that's not skews that's not like color combinations of of models this is the uh, you know this is a a, a model like a, a bmw 3 series or, or or something like that so it would be interesting to see if they ever built like custom silicon for for cars 
they would say, you know. I don't, you know, Apple is so far away. And, and, and like I said, this, this version of CarPlay will take about a decade to propagate into, let's say, 70% of the cars you can buy mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. And it'll take 30 years to propagate to the, you know, all the cars in use, which is a heck of a long time. We're still not there. I, I own a bunch of cars and none of them have CarPlay. And, and it launched 10 years ago. Not one has CarPlay. Of course, because I, I buy old cars. Mm. That's, you know, my my newest is 2013. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I get that. I get that. It, it is interesting. And then you have a Tesla and the Tesla doesn't even run CarPlay. No, right? you don't need it because it does everything else. Like it, it has Apple Music. It has Spotify. It has all of the services that you'd otherwise need. The navigation is actually really good. That's, 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 uh, okay, fine. Yeah. But 70, seven, more than 70% of buyers in the USA, they will look for a car that has CarPlay as, as a condition. Oh, and I get that as well. Uh, when I rent cars, I always try and get cars with, with CarPlay as well. But look, I, I feel like we're kind of, we're waffling at this point. I, and I guess the, the part about it as well is I want to share some interesting updates from the micromobility world where we're starting to see that pace of innovation happening. And it's, uh, or, or like, you know, the, the, the faster it goes, the slower it goes. So there's an episode that'll be coming out just before this one where we, uh, I did a, an interview with the head of Electric and Electric had, have developed these uh, e-bikes that uh, in 2019, they were, they didn't have a bike. And last year they sold 150,000 units. And I think that we, we don't quite know, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that's sort of like $150 million worth of revenue. So they've gone from like zero to a hundred very, very quickly. Um, and they're evolving and they're like looking to add a lot of capabilities and stuff, but they, their ability to innovate. So they, they ship new products every like six, three to six months. And they're taking advantage of our whole, uh, it's not, it's not particularly advanced in terms of like their their value they're there to value engineer stuff rather than kind of put the cut most cutting edge technology into the into the vehicles. But I just look at one from a scalability perspective, the ability of it to to move into then to evolve very quickly. But I'm curious, Horace, for you because it's it's like to to confirm our thesis that the faster it goes, the slower the, the slower it goes, the faster it goes. The part we would like to be seeing in in the spaces that you have like way quicker integration of new technology and computation into the vehicles. And the part that I am, you know, I can see it happening with scale. I don't know if I'm necessarily seeing it happen with like heaps of tech. Like I haven't seen ADAS into bikes yet. I haven't seen like new computer screens or other uh, kind of mechanisms making their way into into vehicles. Yes, there is. I agree with you because I've been talking about this for five years almost. And I, I have been saying that we will see dramatic change in micro but it hasn't happened as as fast as i would have hoped mm. at the time i was noting a few things one abs for e-bikes yes traction control for e-bikes yeah. people were were putting out scooters with some uh imaging technologies right they were putting out scooters at least prototypes or or r&d efforts on self self-driving scooters mm-hmm. uh if, if you remember oh i remember um, yep. and there are there are a few still a few efforts like a wheel in uh, seattle in seattle yep. which uh, is a software defined bike uh and, and there are companies also that are looking at theft deterrence with uh, with with technologies but yes generally we haven't seen the platform play out the way i would have liked to see by now and and that allows me to you know uh, calibrate the timing of this of this adoption curve. However, let me put it this way: there's, you know, uh, one could have foreseen the smartphone back in the 1990s, when in fact the the term first was used, and we had companies like 
Palm Pilot and then, you know, Handspring developing screen-based phones mm. with, uh, admittedly, not, uh, you know, with a stylus, not with a finger yep. touch. And they were demonstrating the capabilities which ended up in our uh, smartphones. And those were, uh, those were far too immature but i was i was right in it at the time i was in, in late 90s i was like super pumped about the possibility of of smartphones uh admittedly a decade early now what catalyzed it so what i realized uh, with micro and with smartphones is that there's a catalyst that occurred that enabled the takeoff several actually one was data networks trying to do data on less than 3g was impossible mm. uh it was not not even 3g it's too slow if you try it today you'll be you'll be surprised how bad it is but we lived on 3g for like years but anyway the, there were these catalysts in terms of technology and uh enabling technologies 3g was one the other was touch itself like multi-touch mm. from apple now what i think will happen with and, and i this is my hypothesis with micro is that there will be an innovator out there, and I, I, you know, it could be one of the usual suspects, or it could be somebody we've never heard of before, that comes out with a very innovative, completely different experience and completely different job to be done for the vehicle. We could also see an enabling technology in the form of wearables. Now, right now, the wearable technology is dependent on Apple and, to some extent, maybe. Google, but if if you can imagine a wearable device, I've always been saying about you know effectively a face wearable, mm. a smart helmet, uh, that would immediately change the the, the feeling of micro mobility, especially and it would separate it even further from automobility. As I say, you know, automobility is going to be about looking down, micro mobility is going to be about looking up, and one is a cocoon and an isolation and a you know a sensory deprivation chamber. The other one is a highly sensitized, highly, you know, you're suddenly uh, much more in the moment mm. if you're on micro. Mm. So it's trying to do two different jobs. People may have the please isolate me job and I want to be completely separated from the universe. I want to be completely in isolation versus so like AR, VR. One is virtual reality, completely let me live in the new world. Another one is augmented reality. Let me Let's take the existing world and and become more sensitive to it in, in a way, mm. L- attach layers to it, and that's that's. You know, there was a great book in the nineteen sixties, uh, I think, called "Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance." It became a cult classic. Yes, I remember that book very well. Yep, and it was about a guy riding a motorcycle and explaining life through this experience. And and he he had a phrase that caught my uh, my attention. He said, "Everything seen through the cars." windscreen is like watching tv mm-hmm. and that was back in the 60s he made that observation especially relative to riding a motorcycle which is being in the place you're going and that that is uh, and smelling and feeling and yeah totally yeah and so imagine imagine the the distinction that we're we're at today where cars have smaller windshields bigger a pillars much more entertainment system much more stuff to see and potentially so much so that they they don't even want you to look out the window mm. um and and so you if you get to that you follow that trend line if you see what what autos are all about it's to try to to not you know even they tell you oh it's about having fun driving or it's about freedom or it's about the you know wind in your hair bs it's not any of those things in reality the jobs to be done are not liberation 
the jobs to be done are isolation. Mm. And so the jobs to be done with, with, with micro, my expectation, again, because of the tooling, because of what we're going to have available, are going to be like, wow, let me, let me give you something that's the exact opposite of that. And that means, therefore, it's like phones versus computers. It's the same thing. One is a heads-down experience. You've got to be like really totally. productive. But- you've got to be, you know, you've got to be efficient. The other one is like, ah, I got 15 seconds. I'm just going to glance at my phone. Totally. It's like the opposite of productivity. One is the anti-productivity. Yeah, yeah. No, and I get all of that. Like I, I, I'm bored with the thesis. But the question that I have is why, you know, like I think you've done an excellent job breaking down the automobility and why it's challenging to put new technology into these vehicles and, and the timeframes that are involved and all that sort of stuff. We've got scooters, you know, that or e-bikes or other things, you know, that aren't, you know, they're going to be around for a far shorter period of time. The one thing that I think has been really interesting is the interview that I did with Josh Hahn and with Benno uh, who, from Benno Bikes, Josh Hahn from Turn, who use Bosch. And their, their whole point is like, hey, bikes are going to be around for 10 years. I want the bike to be able to be serviced in 10 years, though. So we're going to use the Bosch system. And Bosch has been slow to develop things like ABS and or other you know, camera-based systems or anti-theft or other things they are now starting to roll it out. And so you will see a lot of the traditional bike industry who do use Bosch starting to see this technology. But like, why has there not been more experimentation with... Bosch is also an automotive company. Let's not... It's a tier one OEM. Right. So obviously they're, they're probably somewhat constrained by that. But, it, you know, look, it's also modular. And so I think the, the innovators are going to be and having to be integrated in the sense that, I mean, innovators like really trying to break through into the new new domain. This is why I said, we don't know who it is. It might be an incumbent. This is one of the things why I'm rooting also for Apple to sort of step up and, and, and involve itself either through a wearable or through, you know, deciding to make a whole widget. I, I, I understand all this. The point is that we have to be patient we have to understand there's a theory at work, or theory is the wrong word. There's a process at work of innovation, of development that is nonlinear and has stops and starts. It's not. It's like it's not going to. Uh, you might end up stalled for a while. Mm. But so patience is key here, and and I've lived long enough to see multiple of these revolutions, and there were many times in the middle of of them that I was like. Oh, it's over. You know, in fact, that was always a moment when it was when I felt it was over. Abandon, give up. You know, we see this with AI. We see this probably with crypto. We see there's about a bunch of stuff that kind of dies for a while and then it kicks up again because it's it's got a, a catalyst that allows it, you know, to de- redefine itself. Mm. It's it's a na- it's a nature of the thing. So don't give up hope if we haven't seen the platform product yet. And I, I, you know, it's nonlinear. It's not like things progress. What, what's important here is to understand that things that survive, the things that are anti-fragile as technologies, as ideas, are those which are self-funded. In other words, that there's always a profit formula, that there's always a way to keep the funding going. And the, and the ones that fizzle out are where the money comes from heaven, the money comes from grants from, you know, uh, uh, let's say it's a VC funded industry, or it's a government funded industry, or it's a uh, an academic development. All of these things are generally, people make progress, and then the progress stops when the money stops. Mm. If, on the other hand, it's organic, meaning that the sources of capital are customers, 
And so you're constantly responding to demand. You're constantly responding to the information you get, the signals you get. Then it's much more sustainable. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. This is not a moonshot. I see this over and over again, you know, to bore you again. But the, the idea that the micro is not being funded at some kind of a, you know, quantum leap forward, that it's, it's, it doesn't require huge breakthrough in, in laboratory work. It's, it's always driven by markets. It's always driven by customer needs. And it, as, a, as a result, it's evolving rapidly. It's evolving in directions I wouldn't expect. Let me give you one example. I don't know if you've observed this. Forgive me if I'm repeating something you've already observed. But basically, when I'm here in Portugal, and I've seen this around Europe, there's a style of vehicle which I had not expected to see, which is a, sort of a, a micro equivalent of the Harley Davidson. What do I mean? It's like it's a very low se- seating position. Uh, it's very fat tires. It's got these these handlebars that are sort of like eye level or higher. Mm. So you, you're driving around in a a hog, if you will. Yeah. And the guys driving is is the interesting demographics and the, the interesting segmentation that's happening is these are more like what I might call blue collar workers. They're like people who are possibly in delivery work, but also they're like you know they work at factories or here and they work in the harbor, and they're very proud of their rides. There's a sense of pride. There's a sense of this is me. And and there's a sense of I'm not going to signal uh, uh, you know speed or efficiency. I'm going to signal style, and I'm going to signal power, and I'm going to signal you know just what a Harley does. So there's a job development going on here, right? Job to be done development where micro is filling niches of jobs that people may have in transport or in personal reflection, personal uh, expression, and it's it's doing it very quickly. And you know, and because these are electric, and because they're they're fairly inexpensive, probably three thousand euros, something like that. Mm. They 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 don't need a motorcycle. A motorcycle, like especially you know Harley's, go like thirty thousand and above. These are people who are getting the Harley experience for three thousand, and and they're very proud. And and it, it, I, I love to see these things. I should take some photos because I found them. I I couldn't even recognize the brands. I couldn't recognize who made these things. I thought yeah, yeah. somebody somebody got really smart about it though, because they they decided not to make a you know efficient yuppie mobile they define themselves in terms of this blue collar job to be done so i think that's example an example of the dynamism of you know in this case two wheelers we've seen it in scooters we've seen it in in four wheelers in terms of like golf carts and things like that so this is the the thing that drives an industry and i think it's going to solve this, solve this puzzle again because you don't have the huge capital you're not going to make an operated uh, you know, an operating system, you're, you're not going to make a new UX with, with big display, but, and you're not going to make a wearable either, frankly, because it's, it, that, that requires a kind of horsepower that only Apple has, mm. but it, it, it might get us halfway there. It is sort of like we're iterating and, and by the way, the building and building and building on, on demand and demonstrating the permanence of this model would allow the big boys to come in, the Googles and the Apples and the, and so on to coming in and say, okay, all right, I've seen enough. Now it's time to join, and now I'm going to take it to the next level, which might be a tide that lifts all boats, or might completely create a new a new tech giant around it. But let's see. I, I I'm still extremely optimistic because everything else, yeah, evidence is is sparse, but it but it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, there's a decent amount of evidence, like as I mentioned earlier about electric, and you know, it's not it's not only them, and a lot of the scooter companies are doing really well. 
and when I say scooter, I mean like privately owned scooter, people who are selling the scooters, not necessarily the, I think, you know, we had the false start in many ways in the industry by having uh, such a focus on shared. And then there's just a whole bunch of people who are buying lightweight electric vehicles that don't show up on any shared. I'd love to revisit shared because I'm perhaps the last voice of shared, even though I was not the initial voice of shared, but the, the thing that the, the reason shared possibly is on its back foot right now is, and, and maybe even fatally. So is that it ran into the wall of the, of, of government. Mm-hmm. It ran into a wall of the, la- the, the laggards becoming the, the deciding factor. Yes. If you're going to have an emerging technology that requires nurturing and development and needs iteration, you don't get the first customer, or even if they're an influencer, to be a laggard, the the last people to accept something. So it ran into this this interference pattern, and I think the the it's I, I still believe the idea of on demand mobility is absolutely, a, you know, like a thirty percent market share kind of story, mm-hmm. right? Like thirty percent of miles should be should be a provisioned in an on demand manner, whether it's in a car or in a micro vehicle. But to get there, we're, we're, we're seeing all of these oddities. We're seeing the fact that because of infrastructure and therefore the, the roadmap, the, the pathway to acceptance is through a, a laggard, then we're not going to see adoption quickly. We're going to see a slow process there, maybe even one which is stopped and then restarted. Yeah. And that's that's been really the disappointment, if you will. But I, I still am optimistic. I, I don't give up. I think there are more shared systems than ever before. There's lots and lots of users. It's just not, it's spotty worldwide. It's some places more than others. Uh, there's still form factor innovation needs to happen. There's still legislation needs to happen. So fits and starts. But again, I, I th- you have to judge it on, on its merits, not on the obstacles that somehow have been thrown in front of it. Yes, there are difficulties. There will be difficulties with any technology adoption. We had... Uh, you know, reasons why cell phones wouldn't have worked for many years because uh, there wasn't a network and because the network licenses would not be granted by governments in an intelligent manner. And on top of that, you had to deal with infrastructures that couldn't could be paid for. And so all of that had to be sorted out for the cell phone to take off, even though the technology was theoretically there in the 1980s. So let's just be a, a bit more patient about it. I uh I appreciate your your calls for for patience um and and I, I mean I get it and there's also part of me which is just you know it's always like let's get on with it let's uh let's take over the world Horace hey well look thank you for your time uh, I'm conscious of time and and I'm conscious of wanting to let you get back to your boat so look we've got uh, another one of these uh we'll, ha- we'll have another one of these I know that James co-founder of Micromobility Industries alongside yourself is keen to jump on and we'll do a three-way in a couple of weeks just to talk about kind of wider industry stuff and what what he's seeing as well and how you guys are thinking about the company but in the meantime thank you Horace as always for your your wonderful insights on this and for folks who are listening Horace are, are you now off Twitter permanently or are you, and you're on to Mastodon or are you What's that transition looking like? I uh, just quickly. I mean, I I haven't de- deleted the app and Twitter, but I'm I'm spending most of my time on Mastodon, which, by the way, I'm already over nearly six thousand followers, if not over six thousand. So it's not too bad to be there. The, the reason isn't entire. I mean, I was trying to make sure that I was staying on Twitter, but it became impossible after the third party app that I was using was was uh, was disconnected. 
and I couldn't relearn how to use Twitter under the you know official app. I couldn't understand at all the logic, and my use cases were all completely different than what was being offered on Twitter. And I I discussed it on Mastodon, and a lot of people who commented on my observations about what why Twitter felt strange to me now uh, agreed. And then and they said there's also things about it that are broken technically, but but my my position is this: If you want to see original material, go to Mastodon. If you want to still ask me questions, I might see them on Twitter because I check in once in a while. I try to find questions there. I try to find mentions there. It's just it's really becoming difficult, and I don't know what happens because it, it, there's an algorithm at work as far as like revealing mm. what I'm saying or revealing what other people say to me instead of it being obvious. So I, I don't know what's going on anymore with Twitter. That's why I'm not against it and I'm not shutting it down, but I'm 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 finding it difficult to be productive with it. I hear you. Okay. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you are interested in talking to Horace, sounds like Mastodon's the best place to find him. All right. Hey, well, uh, we'll talk soon, Horace. Cheers. And thanks very much for listening, folks. Thanks, man. Cheers. <laughs>